This is Weekly Comics Spotlight 534 for comics originally released on November 1st, 2017. Now, starting us off in DC is Black Lightning, Cold Dead Hands number one of six. Uh, this is written by Tony Isabella, who is, of course, the creator of the character. We've got Clayton Henry on art. Uh, he's a terrific artist. I really enjoyed his art here. And this issue really reminded me that I think we have barely seen Black Lightning since the new 52 reboot. I think we saw him in an issue of DC Universe Presents. I think it was like the last one, like number 13 or something. I don't even think he was the featured character, although he might have been. He was there, I think, with like Blue Devil or somebody. Weird pairing. Yeah, yeah, I remember those. Those were uh, those were interesting. I don't think it was those. I think it was the singular issue. Oh, well, who was the who got the, the series with Blue Devil then, where it was Blue Devil and... That was like in the early New 52 days. I don't think it was a... Uh, Blue Devil was in an issue with, with Black Lightning of, of DC Universe Presents. I don't think it went multiple issues. I could be wrong on that. I was thinking it went multiple issues, but maybe not. Most of the other things did uh, for that title, but not so much that. I think after that, we might have seen him in like an issue of Justice League or something, but just as like a cameo or something. Now, part of what's clouding my memory on that is uh, the character's been seen a lot more during that time over in Injustice Gods Among Us, year one, two, three, four, five, part two, and, you know, all the other Injustice stuff. So it's not like we haven't seen him at all in the time, just not in the DC Universe, which I think is just a little weird. Obviously, part of why we're getting him back is there's the upcoming TV show. And he's a cool character. I'm, I'm glad they're bringing him back. There were a few things here that uh, were classic uh, Black Lightning, a few that were fairly new. This whole bit of using his powers to do some sort of electromagnetic flying thing is new, and I, I've got to think it, it harkens back a little bit to uh, Static Shock and his trash can uh, lid that he used. Not that Black Lightning is using it, but I think the stuff that Static was able to do with his powers over... In the Milestone stuff, I think some of it's getting kind of... Uh, I think it opened the eyes for Tony Isabella as to what Black Lightning might be able to do. We've got Tobias Whale, who is a, a long-term villain for, for Black Lightning, kind of his Lex Luthor-ish sort of a thing, if you will. Um, although at a much, much lower uh, uh, income level. And here they're establishing that the one we've been dealing with in the past, and I guess that's who we saw the one other time or whatever we saw, Black Lightning in the New 52. That's not the real one, but somebody who'd been leveraging this one's, you know, street cred or whatever. I, it seemed like a, a retcon of something that, that I, I don't think anyone really remembered well enough to be worth retconning. Um, how familiar are you with Black Lightning? Enough to know that the series existed and I have issues in my comic boxes and um, I wasn't really familiar with his his dad he was kept referring to his dad and I guess he was the original Black Lightning and I don't really remember no. that much about him Jefferson Pierce was always the original Black Lightning I don't know that his dad was ever really a major aspect of the the comics but Black Lightning for solo titles has had the original 11 issue title uh, back in the mid-70s, late-70s, that fell victim to, I think, the DC implosion. He's had maybe a miniseries or two since then. Most of his appearances, I think, have has either been as a member of the Outsiders or, like, the Justice League or something. 
he has not had a whole lot of, of uh, solo adventures uh, in his own title over the years. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, he's, I'm curious as to if he can, if he could really be, have a successful series on his own. I mean, I think the fact that it's a six issue miniseries makes a lot of sense. Um, nothing wrong with this, but it, it, it does seem a little, um, a little more lightweight and, uh, the, this character doesn't have kind of have the, the hook that you would kind of hope for from a, from a solo book. Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure that it's, I'm not sure that it's uh, a heavyweight, uh, in, in their line, uh, their, their crowded line, especially now. Um, but, but I think the arts, art's fine. And, um, I thought this was, was reasonably well written. I, 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 I enjoyed, uh, it kind of built, you know, this first issue, it started slow, I thought, but it, it kind of built towards the end. Um, it finished with, uh, enough of an impetus to get into the next issue that I, I can see someone who, who has the room on their pool list and, and is looking for something like this would, would really get a little more out of it than I would. It's it's not quite going to crack mine, but um, it, it it was a reasonably well done first issue. Yeah, I would say the the writing by Isabella was good, but it left me a little bit wanting, and I'm not entirely sure why. Maybe I was just being a little rebellious at how they had kind of disavowed the the past of the character, because it seems here like uh, Jefferson Pierce Black Lightning is is single. No mention of a wife, an ex-wife, or anything of the sort. Uh, which, I mean, they didn't have to necessarily cover here, but he's going to his dad's funeral. you think the subject would come up. Um, but if he's single and never married, uh, that means his two daughters, who became Thunder and Lightning, probably don't exist in this timeline. And Thunder, I think, was a member of the Outsiders before Flashpoint. Lightning, I think, joined the JSA uh, there at the end. And both of those two girls are going to be, or the daughters are going to be in the TV show in some sense. I, I wouldn't expect them to have powers, at least not initially, but they're, they're going with the family angle there, not so much here. That, it surprises me a little, but I don't expect Tony Isabella to, to kind of go the route of the TV show since he's the creator of the character. He, he knows what direction he wants to go. So the, the, the writing was, was good, but it did leave me a little, little wanting. Like I said, I thought the art was great. There were a few things here and there that I just, I didn't know quite what to make of. There was a reference early on to, uh, Amberjack's repetitive training sessions with, with, uh, Black Lightning. And that's how he can fight as well as he does. So previously, Black Lightning had been like it, literally an Olympic level athlete. He'd gone to the Olympics or whatnot. He was a known celebrity of sorts, kind of like a Bruce Jenner or, uh, other sort of, uh, Olympian. Here, I guess none of that happened. I don't know, so a little confusion there. But it refers to this Amberjack, whoever that is, getting, you know, soundly trounced by the Red Bee. And it's like, that's, one, who's Amberjack? And two, the Red Bee is kind of an obscure DC character who, as I recall, was a hero at one point, a member of the Freedom Fighters, for literally all of a few minutes during World War II on Roy Thomas's Earth 2 at least a continuity or two ago. Um, so it just seemed like odd references here and there. And I, I didn't understand why they were doing that, where they were trying to go with that. There are some other hallmarks of the Black Lightning supporting cast, etc., that I'm expecting to be used in the uh, TV show that were nowhere to be found here, which is, yeah, it's fine. Again, first of six issues. They don't got to put everything in this. I just... 
was a little unclear where they were positioning this character, how long he's been active as uh, Black Lightning, particularly in light of what we've seen in um, one of the uh, the metal uh, one-shots that set up, I think it was the casting that set up the Outsiders as having existed previously, including, I thought, Black Lightning, but I could be wrong on that. So it's good. Liked the art a lot. I just... Not sure where this really fits into the DC universe, and while I think it it definitely takes place in the DC universe, I'm not so sure it's going to be a fully acknowledged part of the DC universe um, outside of these six issues. Um, our villain that gets introduced here, man, he uh, there there is no doubt he's a bad guy. He killed his nephew. He killed his sister uh, with a model ship. And has just with no no remorse at all. And th- this dude, he had quite a little, he set quite a little trap for Black Lightning too. So uh, that was kind of the, the, uh, an interesting intro uh, to this guy. And um, we, I do kind of want to see him get his comeuppance because he's awful. He's he's just an awful person. So um, they did a good job of establishing bad guy is bad. <laughs> Absolutely, but there's an aspect of Tobias Whale that I felt was very Kingpin esque. Oh yeah, I yeah I saw that, and that's Definitely. not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, to to their credit, in the span of a, a page or two, they go from here's this this tough guy to yeah, you don't mess with him. He 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 is not the least bit forgiving. So I, I give them a lot of credit for uh, showing, not telling, in uh, that respect. Uh, for me, I'm going to go with a B- minus on this. I thought it was good. Uh, don't know that it's something that is a absolute must-read for people, but I think if they are fans of the character, I don't think they'll be disappointed. But if you're not really that familiar with Black Lightning, I don't know that it will uh, win you over and make you a hardcore fan either. Yeah, I was I was kind of walking the line between a C plus and a B minus, and I think I talked myself into a into a B minus, and uh, yeah, I I can feel the same way that you know, it, it you 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 might be enough to to pull you in, but it it also um, good not great is kind of where it, where it's at. Yeah, that's 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 where I felt more so on the writing, uh, Clayton Henry's art. Um, yeah, it's solid. Solid, and I love the style. So that that I, I want to see where they go with this over the course of the six issues, and I want to see where they take the character beyond this miniseries. Yeah, because I think he's one that could definitely be a uh, a bigger feature of the the DC universe than he has been over the last half decade or so. Granted, he's shown up two, three times if we count this issue. That's not hard to to beat, I guess. No. Shall we move over to our Marvel book? Yeah. This is Black Bolt number seven. And I'm going to say flat out, this is the kind of issue I don't think we see that often anymore. In my mind, this was kind of a transitional issue, acting kind of, sort of, but not officially as an epilogue of sorts to the previous arc, and kind of, sort of, like a prologue to the next arc. It was one of those where we've just had an adventure, we're going to have another, and we kind of need to to get the character from point A to point B, take care of one or two pieces of business to wind one story down, and spin the other one up. Yeah, and I, I'm a little disappointed in that. I I think uh, these the first six issues of this series were incredibly strong and a really solid arc. Uh, in fact, I was 
surprised there wasn't issue seven. I just assumed it was a six issue miniseries. Um, but because of the strength of that, I, I was kind of pushing for this pretty hard to get reviewed. I've recommended it a couple times now. So this, this, we finally, you finally took me up on it. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately it is kind of a transitional issue and it started really slow. It, th- this issue started really slow and it was really weird. And the art style was more stylized than even it normally was. Um, but again, it built as it went through, and and I, I think towards the end it got much stronger and kind of righted the ship a little bit in my eyes uh, to back where uh, I felt it, it left off in the, that first arc and how, how strong it was. So um, a little bit of a hiccup, but I think you're dead on that, yeah, this still has, it feels like it's tidying up some things from the previous arc, and oh, you've heard, you know, maybe these, these are new readers, you've heard a lot about this black bolt and you're checking this out. So let's, let's remind everybody what happened and where we are and what the status quo is. And let's, uh, let's get them into a position for a new story. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, the previous issues I think were much better than this issue. And I have no doubt that the next arc will be better than this issue too, just because of, of, like I said, this being a little bit of a transitional, we've got a guest artist. We've, you know, got some stuff going on there. Um, the other thing is this issue has a little bit of a, a handicap. This title has a handicap. And I mean that almost literally in so much as Black Bolt can't speak. And when he does, he would typically, you know, obliterate everything in front of him. So there's a fair number of captions in this issue. And the kid who he had rescued in the previous arc, frankly, does most of the talking in this issue. That's not yeah. a yeah. bad thing, but it also wasn't a great thing. And that was the great conceit of that first arc within the the confines of... Of the prison they were in, he was able to speak, and it, it was able to change the dynamic, and it added a layer to the character that made it more interesting, and now you're taking that away again, and and so it will be, you're right, it's going to be more of a challenge, because to carry your book and not be able to speak is going to be difficult. I didn't warm up to kind of his speech style and whatnot in the previous arc. I think as somebody who has been forced to stay silent the whole time uh, for basically his entire life for the most part, uh, other than that uh, Inhuman Once and Future Kings miniseries going on where he can speak there too. Uh, I would have expected him here to have had either uh, just generally a minimalist speaking style or the, the extreme opposite. Once he gets started, it's like he's had to hold back for so long and now he doesn't, you can't shut him up sort of a thing. I felt there was room to play there, and they didn't uh, in the previous arc. Hmm. Yeah, I, I kind of liked the, his measured his measured speech. I thought it kind of worked, but that's just me. I, I didn't say it didn't work. I thought there was more room to play with than they they explored. Um, the 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 funny thing is with this issue, we've got a character who who can't speak. A lot of captions and stuff. This was not the most caption laden issue I read this week. There was one where I felt the entire thing was an illustrated story narrated with the overuse of captions, and it drove me nuts. So the fact that they had a, a situation where they could have and should have fallen into that trap and, and didn't through the use of, of this other character and, and uh, some aspects of that worked surprisingly well. But it's also the kind of issue that isn't really in my wheelhouse. I felt it was a little boring compared to what had gone before and what I'm expecting to come next. And the art was good, 
but not a style that's entirely to my liking. I, I don't know if it's just I'm old school and I prefer kind of the, the black lines with the colors in them to this more painterly style. And it's a beautiful painterly style. It's just not the kind of style I gravitate towards. And it almost has a bit of a um, blur or fog kind of aspect where there's not the crispness of the the characters uh, like we got, say, in the, the Black Lightning comic we just uh, reviewed. Um, yeah, there is there is definitely some kind of uh, Photoshop layering <laughs> effect yeah. going on here. And it, it, it there's, a, there's a 2D... Uh, look to the the character designs and like almost like paper dolls to an effect where you could just peel them right off and um it, it's an interesting uh I I don't know if I think I've seen other Fraser Irving work that's not like this but um I may have been mistaken maybe mistaking him for somebody else but yeah there's there's some of these uh, visual effects too with the the fogs and the and the and these blurs and this Gaussian fo- out of focus thing that that happens. Yeah, it seems it seems like a like it's part of his toolkit, and he's got these things that he likes to use and go to, and um, it can it can work, but it can also be a bit of a crutch. And, and for me, it's not something that that just naturally works. It's more the exception than the rule. Um, I f- I feel this was the wrong issue of this title to review. Because I think some of what they had done, particularly at the end of the, that first arc, had gotten really good. They'd done some interesting stuff with a couple of the characters uh, that I wanted to see them kind of move forward with. This being, again, that sort of transitional issue I don't think is representative of the series. But it's the issue we got in front of us to, to talk about. It wasn't bad, but it was comparatively boring and didn't really excite me. And... Um, we're going to have to come back to this title maybe at the end of the next arc or the beginning of the one after that or at some point to, to kind of see where they go and how it's doing. Because I think Black Bolt is a pivotal character in the Marvel Universe, but a hard one for a writer to really get a handle on because of the lack of speech and, and just the uh, aloof, kingly nature of him. And uh, again, the, the first six issues I thought were great here. This was just okay. Uh, I would go with a, a C plus on this, but more due to the nature of the story than any. It's not like there were any particular faults in this issue. It just didn't really work for me. Yeah, I think I would probably uh, give that first arc uh, a strong A minus. I thought I thought it was really really strong work and you know, and a lot of fun. And and I think I'm right there with you with the C plus on this. You know, there's I, I like the character. Or like the the character's really earned its uh, his place in my reading list um but this issue is not indicative of what i think the series is and this probably could turn some people off of the series if they pick this up cold um i I think that that might be problematic but yeah so uh, i'm gonna go with the c plus as well and uh and hope for better days ahead i'm expecting better days I think once they get started with the next arc, we'll get back to kind of the quality we were at. This was just, again, not really an epilogue, not really a prologue, but a little of both and sort of thing. It was, it was again, a, a transition from, from what story they had been telling to what they're going to tell. Once they get into that story, um, I expect we'll, we'll both be happier with the title. Sometimes writers have uh, just one or two good stories in them. <laughs> and they 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 don't have 
long, long runs. You you never know. Sometimes they it, it might not. He may have he may have said everything that he wanted to say in that first arc and and can't really get his mind around the character again. We'll just have to see it. I could see it go either either way. Actually. No, and that's fair. But I think also issues like this back in the day tended to work better than this particular issue did when you would have just kind of a day in the life of the Teen Titans or the Avengers or the X-Men or whatever. But that was back in the day when you would have, over the course of a year, five or six different adventures of varying lengths or whatever. And then you would have a, an issue a year or so that was just kind of that breather issue of, okay, things have calmed down for a few minutes, let's go play baseball, let's go uh, have a, a peaceful night, walk on the town, or whatever. Whereas here, we finished an arc, we're about to start the second arc, it's almost a little too soon to go to this well. And I think this sort of a story is a harder sell these days. So whether this was just an almost anachronistic storytelling style to even try to use today, or is this uh, creative team a little, uh, you know, out of juice or whatever, I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah, yeah, and, I, and I'm, I'm hopeful it's, it's closer to that first arc. It can build that momentum up again. Yeah. Shall we move on to our other book? Yeah. This is Atomic Robo, The Spectre of Tomorrow, number one. This is uh, celebrating, actually, the 10th anniversary of the Atomic Robo uh, series of miniseries. I've been on board since the beginning. Matter of fact, if you go to Weekly Comics Spotlight number nine, we uh, reviewed the, the first issue of Atomic Robo. How much of Atomic Robo have you read? Uh, the ones we reviewed. Okay, so you wouldn't consider yourself a hardcore fan? A uh, fan at all, no. Okay, well, I'm sorry I pushed this on you. Um, typically, there's a lot more action and kind of zany sci-fi aspect and stuff than I feel we got here. I was, frankly, severely underwhelmed by this issue. Um, the main conflict was Atomic Robo, the, the lead character, this science adventurer, dealing with the homeowners associations for where he's put his, his <laughs> yeah. new headquarters. Yeah, yeah, a lot of policy. <laughs> a lot and of manuals. It was... <laughs> A lot of meetings. It was entertaining for like a subplot sort of a thing, but that was like the plot. Bureaucracy. A lot of bureaucracy to review. Yeah. yeah. Exciting stuff on the page. The rest of the issue was uh, the new girl, uh, Foley, uh, getting back to the base after her first solo adventure, which I don't know if we've seen that solo adventure. Um, I think the only time we've seen this character was in Atomic Robo and the Ring of Fire that was back about two years ago. And there's been at least one other Atomic Robo miniseries in the meanwhile, and uh, one or two other things set in the universe, not featuring even Atomic Robo. So she's going around encountering the various people uh, in the supporting cast or whatever. And while I recognize most of the others that we're seeing around the, the new headquarters, it's been long enough since we've seen them that I'm really not remembering much about them other than, oh yeah, he's part of Atomic Robo's team. So I really felt what was going on at the base, for the most part, fell flat. Almost everything with Foley, it's like, uh, I don't know where you're going with this or why I should care. We get a little bit of a project that uh, Atomic Robo is working on, but if that gets more than maybe three, four pages out of the entire issue, I'd be surprised. If Atomic Robo was a monthly comic and we'd been going with these characters nonstop, this sort of issue probably would have worked much, much better. But given the series of miniseries approach, the gaps in time associated with that, and kind of how long it's been since we've really been with some of these characters, 
the issue fell flat for me. I felt like I was out of the loop. Like I could have been, you know, uh, in a theater watching this as a movie or whatever, as a part of a series of movies and other people are loving it. And I'm like, wait, who, who's this again? And, and I've been reading all of the Atomic Robo universe stuff. So it's not <laughs> like I'm uninformed. So imagine how I felt as yes. I read it. Um, when we read, when we reviewed, uh, Resident Alien, who also takes this series of miniseries with little large breaks in between them. I often wonder, well, if I wasn't as familiar with the property, how accessible would it be to me? And um, I kind of got my answer here because they don't do a very good job of, um, you know, it is number one. They don't do a very good job of treating me as a new reader like a new reader. Uh, and kind of laying the groundwork of who's who and what's going on and what what the world is like. It's just kind of the next issue in the series. And you can do that, but don't put a number one on it. And and uh, it, that, that really bugs me. Uh, this, I didn't feel, was really accessible because there was way too many things that you should have already understood. You should have already understood who this main character is and what her adventure was. You should have known... You should know who this robot is and what his deal is. Um, you should understand why this, why this, it's important to go through <laughs> HOA meetings and deal with the bureaucracy of of stuff like this and how, and how that plays into it. And and yeah, it was a kind of like a little glimpse and a a slice of life view of this series that um, felt like just a middle chunk of something that I I wasn't aware of what got us here. And, you know, I, I, if I come in at like an issue 18 or something like that, I, I, I'll, I'll accept that a little bit, but as an issue one, whether it's a series of miniseries or not, you still have an, I have an expectation of you need to on ramp me a little bit and, and help me, help me like your book. And they didn't do a very good job of that. Um, not a lot of stuff in here that even once, whether you knew the, the characters or not, that was, wasn't really exciting. It wasn't really uh, action packed or anything like that, so it did. It didn't have much going for it. Um, probably not a good example of what this book can be, and what the positives are. At least for me, it, it didn't work very well. No, and I, I agree with everything you're saying there, and it pains me to say that because, as a property, I think Atomic Robo is really a lot of fun, and I think there are ways they could have even made this sort of a story work. If when we were going around the base, we were seeing a lot of kind of wacky sci-fi stuff that was, you know, uh, uh, repercussions or callbacks to previous adventures and stuff that even if you don't catch the reference, it's at least entertaining to, to watch and see, you know, some, some craziness in the background, you know, a portal opening up and they're trying to shove stuff back through it or, you know, whatever. But they didn't have the, the sci-fi aspect. The characters were not popping off the page or even recognizable as such, what I felt this issue lacked was accessibility. And for something that was was billed as a celebrate 10 years of Atomic Robo by jumping on this brand new story, they missed the boat. And again, the series of miniseries with the time lag in between does bad things to story momentum or can do bad things to story momentum. But we've seen other titles work through that exceptionally well. Um... Now, with Atomic Robo, every miniseries, frequently it'll bounce, you know, the the last one may have been 40 years in the past, the other one, you know, in the 20s, or bouncing around through the timeline a bit more than a contiguous story. 
So it's got that to hamper the, the uh, story flow and momentum compared to like a saga or something else like that. But, you know, I look at titles by uh, Tom Zoller uh, with Love and Capes. It was a quarterly book and you, I always could get right back into it. No problem. Yeah. And I could even I could even read his book out of sequence and not have any problem with it. Yeah. Because I'm in Vine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that's true. <laughs> um, there are ways to make a story accessible that if, if you're coming in cold at almost any point in the story, you can follow it, enjoy it and get enough out of it to say, wow, this is great. I want to come back. I want to go the, go get the parts I missed here. It kind of fell flat. Um, this was not a great jumping on point, And I was, I was disappointed with that. This creative team is much better than this. And I think Atomic Robo is well worth checking out. I would say if you're going to do that, you might as well start at the beginning because it's available in trade. And if you were to do a rapid read of all of it in succession, by the time you got back to this, if the other stuff's still fresh in your mind, this may be a much better read than it was for me. But I'm reading the stuff as it comes out. That's 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 how they're putting it out. They should make sure it reads better that way. And usually they do. Um, I felt this was a probably the worst uh, issue of the entire 10 year run we could have could have picked to talk about. Um, but in in its defense, uh, most of the other first issues have been reviewed on the Weekly Comic Spotlight uh, as far back as Weekly Comic Spotlight number nine. It's worth checking some of those episodes out if you're curious for uh, other uh, issues of the title to see, you know, if, if it's more to your liking or not. It's a fun sci-fi property. This just wasn't a, a, a really strong issue. Yeah, yeah, and, and we, we do that sometimes. We, uh, you know, I wasn't the best Black Bolt today either. But uh, for, for me, this really, really wasn't great. Um, uh, so I'm going to give it to C- minus uh, and... It's not going to make my pull list, but um, I might check in again next time you make me. <laughs> I'm going to go with the C minus two. It was uh, again that lack of accessibility and just a little bit boring, uh, which astounds me because the title in property is so much better than that. But it's uh, there was a period where I seem to have a knack for finding like the exact wrong issue of a title to go review or pick for the weekly <laughs> comic spotlight. It's just. Hey, the last one was great. This next one, oh, geez, it's a uh, new creative yeah. team or uh, a transition issue or whatever. It, it it happens. Yeah, yeah, it 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 happened to both of us uh, a few times now. Yeah. <laughs> well, John, the the scuttlebutt today. Oh uh, yeah, big, we gotta gotta talk big, about that. Big news is that Brian Michael Bendis Bendis has been poached from Marvel to DC as an exclusive writer, multi year multi-facets multi-facets whatever that means so that could be uh many roles within the company that that's exciting stuff and i'm trying to think of the last time a writer of his magnitude has switched sides i i, I don't know at it's one been a long point time. he was pretty much the the architect and author of, of the main shape of the marvel universe i would say the last two cases i can think of and they are not like this, where he is going lock, stock, and barrel exclusive to DC, presumably to work on mainstream stuff. But the two examples I can think of are when Chris Claremont and Stan Lee uh, did some work for DC. Uh, the other go-to example that was mentioned uh, this, uh, today on the Slack channel was, of course, Jack Kirby, 
when he left mm-hmm. Marvel. He's an artist, DC. though. Uh, Kirby did a lot of writing. Uh, he was the author of, of the, the Fourth World stuff with the New Gods. He did a lot with Jimmy Olsen. Yeah. There's a lot of... of I, I was uh, thinking of somebody who actually, like, you know, could could run multiple titles. I can't think of anybody that, that had this prolific um, and was doing stuff at such a high level and and left. I, I don't I don't remember it ever happening. There have been cases where you had high-level creators just leave and go to somewhere else, not like from Marvel or DC to the other, but like to Image. Um, certainly there was that. It is yeah, a bit, those were all art. Those were all artists too, right? But not like exclusively just drawing. The um, some of them had enough say in the story that the the stories fundamentally changed when they left. Again, I would I would argue the same thing with Kirby to say he's just an artist. Um, I think really undersells the storytelling uh, impact not only an artist can have, but in some cases particular artists who were massive creative influences uh, in their own right, in addition to having somebody who was the writer, who in some cases may be doing a little more than than just scripting the dialogue. Um, not saying it's necessarily that way for those cases, but this is well, well, okay, big Kirby, news. Kirby's Kirby's in the sixties, um, and so I I don't remember that time; wasn't alive then. Um, the image stuff was pretty much artists moving over. Uh, all right, uh, you so want this writers? Is, this is this is this is a a big time writer managing multiple titles that are still you know you had at least four or five that I could remember that he was writing at the company as of last week mm-hmm. and is moving lock stock and barrel to the competitor. No, I can't think of another example like that. The two that are coming to mind, and I could be wrong on this. And first off, the number of writers who are at the level you're talking about are few and far between to begin with. <laughs> very. It would be, yeah, it, it would be very small, a small sample. It'd be Jeff Johns. It'd be. Well, it depends how far back you go. I think right now, if you're talking current era, there's, once you get past. Jason Aaron? Uh, once you get past a handful of people today, you got to go back a, a ways. But I would say uh, Roy Thomas, who'd been doing a lot of stuff at Marvel, he goes over to DC and he's basically got the Earth 2 franchise at that point. Uh, Marv Wolfman had been doing quite a bit of stuff, uh, moved over to, to DC, and he was doing a ton of major things, everything from New Teen Titans all the way to Crisis on Infinite Earths. And, and so he and left, he left from doing Teen Titans and went to Marvel? No, he left Marvel to go over to DC, I believe. Okay, well, that's what I know him from, is the DC stuff. But again, you've got to go back to, like, the 70s and 80s for that kind of stuff. Um, so it's a big deal. Um, you no, know, it's totally a big deal, and it doesn't happen that often, because you usually don't have writers that are that big of an influence at a particular company. And it was, I mean, from the the statements I've seen, he said, you know, change is good. And, you know, I've got, I've got a lot, I'm excited about the change and the opportunity. He's got a whole new toy box to play in. Um, I, I, I'm from a selfish reader standpoint, I'm, you know, I, I enjoy Miles. I enjoy Jessica Jones. I enjoyed the Defenders. I enjoyed the Iron Man that he was writing. So um, I, I don't, those, those aren't going to be the same, but we've had creator switch before. I just hope that Jeff Johns, Dan DiDio, Jim Lee, and the others at DC can kind of coach uh, Brian Michael Bendis on how the DC universe is just fundamentally different than the Marvel universe and how it should be different from the Marvel universe. And that the the creative storytelling that, that 
Bendis is capable of of uh, capable of manifests itself in the appropriate manner for the DC universe versus what he'd been doing at Marvel in kind of the Marvel style, if you will. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, for a, a little bit, sure. Um, but he should be himself, and you know they could use a little of that juice. I think. Well, obviously, um, you're hiring him to be him. Yeah. But you're also hiring him to write DC. So, you know, I don't want to see the DC characters become Marvelized, if you will. I also don't want to see Bendis become, uh, you know, just a, a DC, you know, uh, uh, no, house writer. I don't, I don't want to see house style at all. And we, we experienced that with the New 52 and a bunch of bland titles that were interchangeable and... Um, I don't think we'll go down that road with, with Brian McAbinus. I don't think he would take the job for that. Um, so I, I would hope that he brings and puts his own spin on those things and, and livens up some titles. I put, I hope they put him on some titles that need a little kick in the pants. Um, I think I, that's, that's the way to go. I think there's an entire range of characters that are kind of that C list or whatever yeah. types that could be raised up to, to high profile ones but are kind of enough on the back burner that you've got a little bit more leeway as to what to do with them. That he could take, breathe new life into, potentially even reimagine or not as need be. Um, and that could be a lot of fun. I just, I don't want to see a uh, massive decompression over in the DC universe. I don't want to see things that, that, that feel organic and work in the Marvel universe, but are a little foreign to the DC implanted there. There'll be a lot of double page spreads. Uh, we know that, um, and yeah, the, it's going to take a little longer to get from point A to point B. I'm pretty sure that's going to happen as well. Um, I'm curious, uh, man, Blue Devil, <laughs> since we mentioned Blue Devil earlier, I can't get that out of my head. That would be awesome. I'd love to see him do a Blue Devil book. That would be cool. Um, but there's, yeah, there's countless things that he could do or what does he want to do and, and, and what's available. Yeah. Um, that that's going to be a curious, uh, a curious mix, and it, I I hope I hope it works. Uh, do we have any idea what what's going to happen to Icon? No idea. Stay there, or does it come with him? Is it his? No, Icon, his Icon will stay there. Icon is Marvel's. Okay. He just has titles there, and some of his titles have already moved to other publishers. Okay. It's so it's not his creator own imprint. No, it is not his imprint. Okay. Okay. Exciting stuff, though, and a real. Um, it's an addition by subtraction for for DC, no matter how you look at it, because you're taking the, him away from your biggest competitor um, and adding him into your stable, which is which is great. Yeah. Um, so uh, good good job for DC, and um, I didn't see it coming. No, I was I was totally surprised this morning when that showed up on uh, on the Slack channel and such. Um, one other thing that that kind of surprised me, and maybe it's just because I wasn't paying attention. Um, over this last week, I finally saw the, uh, the I guess the poster or the image or whatever that they're using to promote the Crisis on Earth X crossover of the CW shows, Arrow, Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, and Supergirl. Oh, what is it? Um, they've got a, a, a image um, that is basically, well, they had Phil Jimenez do it, and it's like a JLA-JSA crossover cover. Specifically, it's like the Justice League of America number 207 crossover from 1982, which is one of my favorite JLA-JSA crossovers. Oh, wow. And it's it's got the same style to it and whatever. It's just, it's really cool. They're dealing with Earth-X, which apparently they're bringing the Ray of the Freedom Fighters 
to an animated feature on the CW seed like they did with Vixen. And he's got that the guy who did the voice acting for it is going to portray the character live action on the crossover, I guess. So I'm not entirely sure exactly what they're doing. I haven't gotten too much information on it, but I saw the cover and it's like, this is really cool. The stuff's going to air on November 27th and 28th, uh, two hours each night. I think they're moving uh, Arrow that week to, to facilitate that. A lot of fun. Uh, looks really cool. It's just funny that they're using the cover of 207 as the 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 homage or whatever for the, the poster, given that Crisis on Earth X, the storyline that the title they're using, it's from Justice League of America number 107 about a decade earlier, but just kind of kind of funny. Um, and then I've been, I'm a little behind on the DC shows, but I've seen where they've introduced uh, Zari to Legends of Tomorrow. She's kind of, sort of, but not quite Isis from, uh, this is a little bit of a pet peeve of mine. People say, it's, oh, it's the DC character Isis. DC had a character called Isis. People, though, tend to confuse that with the Isis that had the Saturday morning live action show by Filmation back in the 70s. That was a Filmation character, which is why when uh, around the time of the 52 uh, weekly series, when they introduced Isis into the show, into the the DC universe, they didn't have the one from the show, but it's similarly named, similarly powered, similarly looked, but just different enough uh, to avoid uh, legal problems, I guess. But again, I'm I'm excited with where they're going with the uh, the CW shows and that kind of a crossover. Just uh, I saw the poster; it looked really cool. And we get uh, one more bit of this is this is a rumor and not uh, not hasn't happened yet. But uh, Disney is talking about acquiring Fox, mm. at least a portion of Fox that would would hold the uh, the television and movie arm, and uh, that would that would kind of almost bring uh, the MCU back together. Uh, it would bring it would bring the Fantastic Four movie rights back and the X Men and X family writes back in and all they would be lacking really is uh the spidey stuff at that point and they've negotiated that so he's kind of a, an adjunct part of it if not a full-fledged part of the cinematic universe yeah i don't are they going to continue to do that i thought that was a one-off i don't the know sony the sony partnership with uh they've at least been able to negotiate even if it was only a one-off those yeah, things fun. can then become a, a second time deal and then a, a regular thing or whatever there's the potential. It's like when uh, Constantine showed up on Arrow, even though his show had been on, on NBC versus CW. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was fun. On the CW uh, seed, their streaming site, they've now got Constantine. So he's kind of getting folded into the CW universe of, of DC title uh, shows and whatnot. So a one-off can lead to more than one-off. Yeah, so I've heard... The deal is dead. I've heard it's on. I've heard it's possible. <laughs> I've heard all manner of things. Nothing's confirmed. Um, it makes a lot of sense uh, for the company to do that. Um, I don't know what's in it for Fox, except maybe cash infusion. 